good morning, church. It's great to be back with you today. Last Sunday, I was in Austin, Texas, preaching at a church that we're bringing on board uh, with TC Egypt, uh, who is going to help us plant a location in a city called Fayoum. And if you remember a couple years ago, God began to give us the heart and the vision of five cities uh, across the country of Egypt, which would lead to five countries. And March or June of 2020, a, a church in Tennessee came on board and we launched a campus in Alexandria, which was the second campus, Cairo and now Alexandria. And, and then we just are now bringing on this third church, which is going to help us launch the third out of five locations in a city called uh, Fayoum. And last week, uh, Ted Cunningham was here, and I heard uh, great things. I heard he's not funny at all, actually, is what I heard. <laughs> Uh, but, but I also want to tell you today, before we jump in, two weeks from today, we're going to begin a brand new series. And it, this is by far uh, the most requested subject and series that, that we do uh, here in our church. And it's on the subject of margin. Years ago, when we were starting the church, I read a book by that title, Margin. And it absolutely rocked my whole world. And in that first year as a church, I preached a sermon series on it. We've probably repeated it a couple of times uh, in the last 20 years. But if you have not read that book called Margin, I want you to go get it and read it over the next couple of weeks because uh, it, it was the trampoline and the springboard that God used 20 years ago in, in my life. And so we're going to dive into it two weeks from today. Uh, we'll start that series. But today we're going to continue our series called Relationships. And here is the truth. I can't preach on marriage with integrity without beginning with this confession. There is something in our marriage uh, that we cannot get off high center on. And uh, I need you to help us uh, today because in my mind, a car is supposed to be completely quiet. Every part of the car, everything in the car, is never supposed to make a noise or a rattle, right? Something is wrong with the car if there's a rattle in the car. Multiple times I've pulled the whole family over on the side of the road. We took everything out because there was a styrofoam cup somewhere in, in, in the midst of it. And it was driving this preacher crazy, right? And, and so we, we're going we're gonna to fix it. We all get out and we're going to fix it. We have flashlights and headlamps and, and we're, we're going after it because the car is not supposed to make noises. I have taken cars to the shop over and over and over just because of a weird noise. The only reason I pull in and I once totaled a car pulling it out of the shop after I brought it in for the 11th time for a rattle that they couldn't find. Lost the whole vehicle because I was unwilling to live with one little rattle. In fact, I was going through my phone video archives a few weeks ago, uh, looking at old stuff, and there is a video of me driving down the road, pointing at the dash, speaking to the repairman, saying, here's the rattle right here. And when I put my finger right here on top of the dash, it stops. Go look right here under the dash. A whole video instructing him because I had been there so many times. I'm like, I can't replicate the rattle. In fact, Meredith's whole mindset on this is just roll the window down <laughs> or turn the radio up and you won't hear the rattle. Now, look, when it comes to marriage, here's the truth. I'm a lot more like Meredith is with our cars. I just want to turn the radio up on all the rattles in our relationship, right? But, but the truth is this, sometimes, and some of you can relate, you don't have to raise your hand if you do, uh, but, but we don't want to work on it, we just want it to work. 
That's Meredith's view of cars and, and many of our view of marriage. But, but here's the truth. If we learn to deal with our marriages the way I do with rattles in my cars, I think we could eliminate some of those rattles in our relationships. And the problem is this, when, when we hear we need to talk about our relationship, w- what some of us think is, I don't want to work on it, I just want it to work. And, and because when we hear that we need to talk about it, what we think and what we hear sometimes is, something's wrong with you. And, and if truth be told, we, we don't just hear something's wrong with you, we hear something's wrong with you and I'm going to fix it, Right? And some of you, when you heard this January, we're going to talk about marriage. Some of you, not just guys, by the way, some women too, you got nervous and and, and you got some cold sweats because you're afraid that we're going to have that talk, right? Or or, or you're afraid uh, that you might be told the truth, or you're afraid we're going to go to that scripture and and we're going to read it. And and, uh, that might mean you are broken and me, the pastor and your spouse, we're going to fix you. And I just want to assure you that is as far from the truth as, as possible in this series. But what I want to do is show you some things that we've picked up along the way in, in the scripture. Not because I have the greatest marriage or I'm the greatest husband. Both of those things are true. But, but that's not what I want to talk to you from that authority today. What I want to talk to you from is the word of God. And the word of God is the authority, right? Can I get an Amen. It's the authority, and it's where we find ultimate truth. And some of your experts on marriage, you could get up here and teach the course on marriage, and I would sit right there and take notes. And but some of you in here, you need a crash course on, on marriage because you're in a collision uh, path in, in your marriage, and we want to help you with that. But marriage is not meant to be a collision, although that happens sometimes, right? In fact, let's look at what Jesus had to say uh, uh, about marriage. He said, "And a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two." are united, say it, into one. And and so here you have the husband leaving his family, and here you have the wife leaving her family, and and they come together, and what you want is is this, right? But but sometimes what happens is this, right? And they they collide with one another, and it's like hitting a brick wall. And, And we get so excited, we get so worked up, we get to going so fast that it's like we're in a race when you lose control of the car. And, and, and often in marriage uh, scenarios, I, I'll hear people say, I, I, I'd rather jump out of a moving vehicle than continue down the road with you. And, and, but before you hit the wall, before you jump out, before we wreck, let's have that talk. And let's avoid the fire going out or the engine seizing up. And let's address some of the obstacles that are in the road. And one of the obstacles that we're going to look at today, it's a good one. And it's called unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. And it's so great because even if you're not married, this can apply to you. But because some of you are not married, some of you were married, some of you thinking about being married, some, some of you marriage is kind of off the table, at, at least right now. Uh, but, but you heard we're doing this marriage series and you thought, well, I guess I'll check it out. But this principle I'm going to show you today is biblical. And, and it runs through the scripture and it can be applied to so many other areas of our lives because uh, we have expectations at work, we have expectations of our neighbors, of our parents, of of everyone that we come in contact with. And when those expectations go unmet, there is a real chance for a collision. In fact, uh, when it comes to marriage, usually it's true that opposites attract and our expectations can be very different uh, from one another, right? When, when it comes to these and, and, and dollars, some of you want to keep everyone uh, that ever comes across your hands, right? Others of you are frequent flyers at Amazon. 
In fact, you order so many things at Amazon, you don't even know what it is when it comes to the door. You're like, what did we order? <laughs> Meredith. And, 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 and so, <laughs> so some of you, you want to have one of these and others of you want a whole tribe of these, right? And, and you, you, you want a, a baseball team. Uh, others of some of us want to travel the whole world and we want to see all the places. And there are some of you who want to sleep outside like an animal as a part of your vacation, right? There's some of you that play with this. We call you boys. And there are others of you that, you know, just want to, you know, do this and watch TV all the time. When you get married, men, you believe that your wife is going to shop here on a regular basis. And this is what she's going to go to sleep in. And ladies, you're thinking this feels really, really good. But when you study all this, watch what happens. When you study all this, here's what comes true for all of us. We all have expectations. Okay, write that down. We all have expectations. We all come into a marriage with expectations, expecting something. And here's the deal. Expectations are neither good or bad, right? They're they're neutral. They come from our own hopes and dreams and desires and and family of origin. And, And we have our own set of expectations. And that's the second thing that I want you to write down. Not only do we all have them, they're different. Your expectations and his expectations about life are different. How you want to spend the money, how you want to cook the meals, how you want to raise the kids. They don't always line up exactly, in fact, rarely, uh, as you walk into a marriage. And when they don't line up, there's friction. And when there's friction, there can become a slide. And and if you don't stop the slide, you're going to slide into uh, the wall. And and there's a story in the Old Testament that talks a little bit about unmet expectations. There's a married couple who, who each had their expectations. They came into the marriage with them and they didn't match up. But but instead of letting it derail or destroy their marriage, they turned it around and it turned into something amazing and great. It's in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1. If you got your Bible, turn there. It's only a half a chapter, in fact. The story is not about Samuel, it's about his parents, actually. And and 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 1, let's look at it together. Here's what it says. Uh, There was a man named Elkanah. That's fun to say, Elkanah. And, and who lived in Ramah. Do you remember Ramah? We looked at it just like a month ago. We, we looked at the city. Remember Rachel's tears in, in Ramah outside of Bethlehem in the region of Zuf in the hill country of Ephraim. Elkanah had two wives, problem number one, right? <laughs> Hannah and Paniah. Paniah had children, but Hannah did not. And each year they would go to the tabernacle to worship. This is what the Bible says. And Elkanah would give Hannah a double portion to offer up because she didn't have any kids. But Paniah was a piece of work, okay? And when you read the story, you realize she's a piece of work. She knew. By the way, this is a callback to Rachel. The the, the author is wanting us to think about Rachel and and this whole story, right? And, And so she knew that Hannah was so sad that she could not have any kids, so she loved getting under her skin. This is the way the text plays out. This is what happens when you marry two women. And all of these kids are so hard to keep up with, right? This is how the attitude is playing out as they're on the way to tabernacle. I can't keep up with all my kids. Uh, Every year, it seems like there's a new one to carry, Hannah. And and so she becomes upset. And in the story, she breaks down crying. It's very reminiscent of Leah and Rachel, okay? This is part two, Leah and Rachel, right? And and look at what uh, the husband says to the wife. Why are you crying, Hannah? 
Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted? Just because you have no children, you have me. Isn't that better than having uh, 10 sons, right? This is Jacob and the 10 sons all over again, right? This is the story that they're referring to. Now, here's the point. Elkanah and Hannah are not on the same page. They're just not. And he's giving her everything he thought a husband should give her. He did everything he knew to make her happy, but she wasn't happy. Why? Because she had other expectations. He is saying, okay, I'm okay with no children or no babies from you, babe. And, and she's like, no, 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 no. I want 10 kids. And her expectation was motherhood. And that expectation was going unmet. And the problem is not the expectation though. Hannah had every right to want to be a mom, right? The problem that was that her expectation went unmet. And here's the point that you need to write down. When things don't turn out the way we thought they would, that's when they can go bad. That's when we end up blaming our spouse. That's when you think they should know what I want without even asking, right? But, but, but here's the deal. Is it an unmet expectation or is it an unexpressed expectation? You have to ask yourself that question. And it sounds like Hannah never really told Elkanah about her expectations because he was confused as to why she was sad. Anybody you ever been confused as to why your wife was sad? Raise your hand so I don't feel all alone. <laughs> right. but, but, but what happens is sometimes we have unmet expectations, and sometimes what we have is expectations that, that, that are not unmet. They're unexpressed, right? And, and they're, they're, they're covered up, and, and we, 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 we have them, but there's no way of our spouse even knowing that they're there. And here's the truth. One unexpressed or hidden expectation feels like 10. And the weight of it can crush us, right? But, but there's one uh, reason that expectations can go bad. And, and uh, let, let me show you another. The, the, uh, the box of expectations, these are mine. And I'm coming into the relationship with my expectations and into the marriage. And when we do that and we hold them out to our spouse and say, here, you, you make me happy, it, we're treating our spouse like a contractor that we've handed a set of blueprints to and said, now build my dream home and do it under budget. And we end up demanding that our spouse make us happy. And if they don't, then they're not the one or they're no longer the one. And we, we have this idea of the one in our heads, the one who will meet our every need before we ever even ask them to do that. The one who laughs at all of our jokes, agrees when we are upset, the one who will finally make us a whole person. But, but if they don't do that, then maybe they aren't the one, right? And so we hit the eject button on our marriage and we leave a trail of disaster behind. And, and whenever I hand my wife a set of expectations, what I'm really saying is my hopes and dreams and desires are important, not yours, J just mine. And, and, and when your spouse does the same, listen, there's a collision of the minds. And, and, and so what happens when our expectations collide, what, what, what is the mess that's left behind? Let me show you four things that we typically do in, in those moments. Okay. Write these down if you would. Number one, we conform. We just give in and say, whatever you want, dear. And, and we give up on our own expectations and we give in to our partner's expectations. And, and now the positive in this scenario is, is that it reduces the tension in the room. But the negative is that our identity is lost. 
right? Now we've lost who we are. We've become someone we're not so that someone else will will love us. And we're really just compensating for someone who doesn't love us or accept us for who we are. But, But in marriage, you don't need to lose your identity, right? It's not a man and a woman coming together to be more like him or to be more like her. It's two coming together to be something different altogether, something better, right? So, so one option is, is we conform. A, a second option is, is we compromise. Sounds like a good idea, right? You give a little and I give a little. Reminds me of a song from my teenage years. You know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? Which one? Diamond Rio. How many of you remember those cheesy guys? How many of you remember them? You remember that song, Meet in the Middle? Let's see if you remember it. Play that song, guys. Walking your way, you start walking mine. We gain a lot. Oh yeah, that old Georgia pine. We gain a lot of ground, cause we give a little. Ain't no road too long when we meet in the middle. You, you remember the bridge? You remember the bridge? Babe, I love the way we work it Remember that bridge? And then that guy with the checkered vest that matched his guitar would do that one little lick and then he'd hit the drum and you start walking by. That's horrible theology. It's horrible theology. Listen, the problem with compromise is is if we go halfway, if we meet halfway, you're only required to give half of yourself and that will never work in marriage. In marriage, you're supposed to give all of yourself to the other person. And the problem, almost every problem in every marriage stems from one person, one partner not giving everything to the marriage and to their spouse. So, so here's the third option that happens is that we, we, we cut out. We just leave the whole relationship. We say, I'm not happy because you're not meeting my expectations. Or they may say, it's not fair that I have to meet your expectations. So we cut out of the relationship and cut it off clean and move on. Here's the fourth option is that we compete. We, we try to win by getting our expectations met. We look across the breakfast table at that man or woman that we married and we see a competitor. And we see an opponent, right? And we see someone in the way of us having our expectations met. And and, and we work at competing because we want to win. And we must remind ourselves that we're not fighting against flesh and blood, even in marriage, especially in marriage, right? We're not fighting against flesh and blood. And when our expectations collide, we turn inward and, and, and we do what we think we have to in order to get our way or to keep the peace. And that's called manipulation, It's called manipulation. It will undermine any and all relationships it encounters. Instead, when our expectations collide, let me make a suggestion. Let's say it. Let's say it. Uh, And this S-A-Y is how we're going to remember these. Number one, you have to speak the expectation. Don't keep your spouse in the dark and definitely don't expect them to know what you want without communicating it. Say it, okay? Speak it. Number two, ask for what your heart is longing for. Expectations can quickly become demands. Asking that that desire be met keeps it out of the realm of demand, okay? And and then here's the third one, yield to one another. And this is done mutually out of love and respect. Ted preached last week out of Philippians chapter 2, my favorite passage of Scripture, right? Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. If you weren't here last week, you need to go back and watch it. Ted talked about this passage of Scripture. But, but here's a question I want to pose to you today. What happens when it's not our spouse 
who's failing to meet our expectations. What, what happens when we feel like it's God himself who, who isn't meeting our expectations? Let's jump back into the story uh, of Hannah and, and Elkanah, and, and let's keep reading and look at what it says. And, and though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion. That, that one choice portion, some of your Bibles say a double portion. Some of you, it, it's a confusing Hebrew word. It, it, there's something special about this portion, right? Because the Lord had given her no children. So uh, Peniel would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Here's the point I want you to see. Twice in this, in this one set of verses, two verses, two times we're told it's God himself who had not given her children. Hannah had a very specific expectation to be a mother, yet God had not met that expectation for years and years and years. And, and it's very possible that Hannah thought, but God. I've been so faithful to you, and I've been so faithful to my husband. I've done all the right stuff. I've given you everything you've wanted, and still you're not giving me the one thing I want. Don't I deserve this child? How many times have you and I had the same kind of thoughts with God? And our expectation may not be for a child. Maybe your expectation is, is that you, if you're faithful to God, he'll give you a spouse. Or that if you're really, really good while you're dating, and, and, and while you're dating, that your marriage will be really easy. But, but the real issue is that we often have unmet expectations from the Lord because we expect the wrong things. You say, what do you mean? Listen to me. Marriage and children are not rewards given to the faithful. They're not. They're blessings for sure, to be rejoiced over but they are not proof of your faithfulness and they're certainly not proof that God cares for you. you. You've missed it when you believe that, right? Unmet, Hannah had unmet expectations from the Lord, but instead of trying to meet those expectations on her own, like Sarah and Abraham did, remember we talked about that over a year ago, they tried to take it on their own or allowing herself to believe that unmet unmet expectations from God meant that God didn't care for her. What did she do? She ran to him. We're told that she went to the temple to pray. Interesting tidbit, only female character were ever told in the whole Old Testament that did that. That went and pleaded with God and pleaded with God. And, and you and I are to do the very same thing when we feel the way that Hannah felt. When we have unmet expectations of God, when things look different than we imagined, when our heart's longings are not only unfulfilled, but they feel like impossibilities, we must turn to the God who, who promises this in Psalm 84. For the Lord God is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. And, and when you and I read that from time to time, we're in the middle of situations. I've read it. I may have even written it in the margin. Are you kidding me, God? Because that doesn't always feel true, does it? It doesn't always feel like that's what God is doing, is withholding no good thing from us. There are times when we feel like God is withholding a lot of good things from us, right? And, and when we feel that way, that our expectations of the Lord are going unmet, what, what, what do we do in that moment? We do the exact same thing we do with our spouse. We, we, we say it. We say it. I altered it just a little, but we speak the expectation to God. We ask for what our heart is longing for, and then we yield to His will uh, above our own will. And, and when we do these things, 
That, that it plays out in a healthy fashion in our relationship with God. When we fail to do these things, what happens? The very same thing that happens in marriage. We, we end up trying to manipulate the situation on our own. And this is where I have seen a lot of marriages get off the tracks, right? And, and in fact, we see it clearly just a few verses before this in, in, in that first Samuel passage, right? Elkanah seeing his wife in distress. We read it a moment ago, but we jumped right over it. Why are you crying, Hannah? Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having 10 sons? Again, this is part two of Jacob and the 10 sons. Elkanah didn't say that because he didn't love her. He does love her. And, and in fact, it says he loves her. He said it because he did love her. He just wanted her to stop crying, right? He wasn't trying to get his own way in, in, in this situation, in this scenario. But like many of us in marriage and relationships, he was trying to be the answer and the solution and the Savior, a role he was never designed to fulfill. He could be a loving and attentive husband and never be enough for his wife. Never. There was nothing he could do, say, or provide that would have changed their situation because he's not her Savior. And don't get confused here. A child wouldn't have saved her either, right? Our spouse and our children are not designated to be our Savior. You should write that down. Our spouse and our children are never designated to be our Savior. And to expect anything different is a collision of expectations that will only leave us bruised and broken on a regular basis. And, and there's only one person who can fulfill that role in our lives. And that's the person of Jesus Christ. He alone is the one who can bring wholeness. He alone is the one who can bring peace. He alone is the one who can bring complete freedom. You, you remember the story in, in John chapter four, we call it the woman at the well story. How many of you remember that, that story, right? In that story, you got Jesus. He's sitting down at a well. We imagine it's sweltering hot in the Middle Eastern sun. And a woman shows up to get some water from the well. Remember the story? And in that story, Jesus says, hey, give me some water. And she's like, are you serious? And Jesus responds, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for water, living water. And they get into this great big and great big religious and theological conversation. And it feels out of place because of who they are. She's a woman, he's a man. She's a Samaritan, he's a Jew, right? And, and they really shouldn't have anything to do with, with each other. But the whole story ends up revolving around this one question or this one statement that Jesus makes to her. And, and he says, hey, go get your husband. And she says, I, I, I'm not married. And Jesus says, right, when you say you're not married, right? You've had five husbands. We don't know the story there. And the one you're living with today is not your husband. You and I miss it because we don't understand the Eastern mindset and the Eastern context on the scripture. But in the Hebrew context and in that context, that statement, go get your husband, sounds a lot like a marriage proposal. In fact, if you heard this story in Jesus' day, you would assume that it was a marriage proposal. At, right at the beginning of John chapter 4, it tells us whose well this is. Do you remember? Jacob's well. 
to you and me, that, that's just a little geographical detail. But to those who understand the context and are in the story, it's a theological detail. It's a cultural detail. It's a sociological detail. It's a matrimonial uh, detail. But because when you hear about a well in the Old Testament, what do you think of? It's the place where you meet your spouse. It's the place where you meet your wife. Isaac and Rebecca met at a well. Jacob and Rachel met at a well. We've been reading this in the one-year Bible just the last week or so, right? Uh, Moses and Zipporah met at a well. And all of these guys in the Old Testament would come to the well, and that's where they would meet their wives. The well was like the ancient form of tender. <laughs> and, and the question to us that feels like it comes out of left field. Jesus was changing the subject because he was trying to point her to what well she was digging in. And knowing the context, the question was this, hey, if marriage is going to make you happy and fulfill you, don't you think it would have happened by now? One, two, three, four, five marriages. If it were going to make you happy and it were going to make you whole, don't you think you would have reached that already? And the point he was making is if you're going to the well of marriage to make yourself whole, you're going to the wrong well. You're going to the wrong well. So what you need to do this week is fire your spouse. You, you need to have a termination where you look at them and say, you're fired. You're fired from the position of being the source of my wholeness. You're fired from the position of being the source of my salvation. You need to marry yourself to Jesus. That's the application. He's the one that will make you whole. He's the one that will fulfill you. And, and when you come into a marriage as a whole person and your spouse comes into the marriage as a whole person, then it is glorious what God can do. And you say, well, pastor, what, what, what about if I come in as a whole person, my spouse is not a whole person? The Bible is very clear about that. It has all kinds of instruction about that and what to do in that situation. And, and maybe we'll talk about it next week or maybe we'll put it out on social media. But, but the point for all of us is that we must marry ourselves to Jesus and let him do in us what he can do. Let, let's pray together. Father, we pray all across all of these campuses this morning that your will would be done. That you would do in men and women and boys and girls' heart what only you can do. You, you would save them. That salvation would spring up out of the ground into the lives of people today. And if you're here and you've never married yourself to Jesus, you've never trusted Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior, I, I want to give you a chance to do that. And, and this is perhaps the the... the climax of our services. This is the moment where it's all been coming to where God can do in people's lives what only God can do in people's lives. And so if you already know the Lord, you're praying right now. And you're praying 
for that man or that woman or that boy or that girl in our midst today or the ones watching online today who needs a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the hope of the world. And so today, if that's you, you've never trusted Jesus, I want to lead you in a prayer helping you do just that. And I want you to pray it after me. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, I want to I help you do those two things. I, I can help you confess with your mouth. The believing in the heart, that's on you. But if you want to trust Jesus to be your Lord and Savior today, would you pray with me? You're going to hear people at every campus pray. But if that's you, would you pray and say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. Today I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Jesus, come into my life to be my Lord, my Savior, my forgiver. In the best way that I know how, I turn my back on my sin and I trust you alone, Jesus, to save me. I receive you. I receive salvation. Thank you for saving me. Before we say amen and before we look up, if you just prayed that prayer and you meant it with all of your heart, would you just lift your hand at all of our campuses and say, I prayed that and I meant it. Congratulations, 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 congratulations. At, at, at every campus, just lift your hand. Campus pastors, come at this time if you would. Anybody else, you prayed that prayer and you meant it with all of your heart, just, just slip your hand up. Congratulations. You, you, you can put it down, and let me just encourage you today. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it with all of your heart, before you leave today, Catch a staff member, catch the campus pastor, catch one of the, the people uh, at the front of the worship center after the service and say, hey, I prayed that prayer. They'll help you. They'll help you. In fact, I just want to say to you, congratulations. Congratulations. It's the wisest decision that you could ever make today. And we want to help you advance in your journey with Christ. Earlier, Josh talked about advanced track at the Broken Arrow campus, a one-night thing on Wednesday night. I, I, I think we have advanced track this month at every campus, but, but get into that and let us help you advance in your new journey with Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for what you're doing in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we all say amen and amen. Would you thank the Lord for what he's doing in our church? Now, let me give you a homework assignment, okay, before, before you go, okay? And, and you, you won't know what the homework assignment is. And you, you, you'll say, like my kids say, I don't know what the homework uh, uh, assignment is. I, I, I want to tell you what the homework assignment is, okay? Last week, Ted gave you a very, very good tool that Dr. Gary Smiley created called the uh, fear dance, okay? And if you weren't here, go back and watch it. But, but the fear dance is the buttons that we have, okay? And, and part of what you need to do in a marriage is work on it. And one of the ways you can work on it is to take this template, okay? And we've put this template up on our website, okay? Battlecreekchurch.com forward slash marriage. And th this tool will be there. And it'll be there in a PDF form with, with blanks so that you can go put your buttons in this assignment and your spouse's buttons and then breakfast, lunch, or dinner one day this week, get together and talk about it and flesh this thing out. If you want to manage your own unrealistic expectations, if you want to meet your spouse's realistic expectations, you got to talk about it and you got to figure this thing out. And this tool is a great, great tool to help you do just that. Okay. So battlecreekchurch.com forward slash marriage, go get the worksheet and do it this week. Would you put your hands together at every campus and welcome your campus pastor at this time? Come on, Josh.